Chicago is among the 20 worst cities for ozone pollution in the U.S., and that's according to the American Lung Association. Now, tackling big problems like pollution and climate change can seem, well, impossible without the fossil fuel industry and politicians getting on board. And while that is key, there's some hope that even a relatively modest transition of heavy-duty vehicles to electric can help save lives. That's according to a study from Northwestern University that was published yesterday in the Nature Sustainability Journal. We are joined by the co-author of that study, Sarah Camilleri. She's a postdoctoral scholar in Northwestern's Earth and Planetary Sciences Department. Hi, welcome to Reset. Hi, good morning, everyone. Also with us, Brian Urbaszewski, Director of the Respiratory Lung Association. Welcome back, Brian. Hi, glad to be here. Good to see you. So start us off, Brian. How many pollution-related deaths and illnesses are we currently seeing here in this area? Well, when you look at things like diesel emissions, um, you know, there's a study done a um, little over a year ago, and it said that in 2023, we would expect 416 deaths in Illinois uh, in, in one year. Uh, and then there's a sort of a pyramid underneath that of uh, other health effects, uh, you know, emergency room visits, asthma attacks, heart attacks, uh, lost days from work because people get sick. Um, and so that sort of gives you a general frame. Um, it, it's a lot. Um, and when you look at things like diesel emissions, they're often concentrated in areas where there's a lot of economic activity, where there's a lot of traffic. So you're looking at, you know, northeastern Illinois seeing more than its fair share of um, those health effects and the deaths, um, Cook County, mm-hmm. Page County, Will County, et cetera. Yeah, we know uh, pollution levels, uh, Brian, that they're not the same across the city, right? We know that the highest levels of pollution they happen to be concentrated in predominantly black and brown neighborhoods here. Where and, and why do we see this exactly? Again, it's back to the traffic. Where is that traffic, especially where is the diesel traffic yeah. uh, going to be? And so you're going to see a, a lot of it concentrated along those major highways, the, the interstates, um, other secondary roads leading to and from things like intermodal rail yards, big warehousing districts, big concentrations of um, uh, factories where products are being moved, uh, that's where the traffic's going to be. That's where the emissions are going to be concentrated. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it, the, those areas are near where a lot of people live, and they tend to be poorer, and they tend to be blacker. Uh, and that's not something that's unique to Chicago. That's something that's uh, kind of a n- nationwide problem. Sarah, good time to bring you in here because you looked at heavy-duty vehicles, things like semi-trucks, garbage trucks, buses, even construction equipment, I'm hearing. Why focus on this? So predominantly, we were interested here in trying to look at some climate solutions that can give us an indication um, for the kind of the, the implications in general um, for air quality. So not solely looking at, at solutions that can mitigate climate um, climate change, but also can, can have implications for um, air quality reductions and other co-benefits. Um, and one of them is looking at heavy duty vehicles specifically because they disproportionately impact, um, they have a disproportionate um, effect on, on emissions. Yeah. Um, particularly, they, they are large contributors CO2, for example, emissions. They're large contributors to um, other emissions such as NOx, um, largest com- contributors um, f- for NOx, um, which is also precursor, a precursor for other um, health-harming pollutants such as ozone, which you've mentioned um, already, mm-hmm. and also PM2.5. So even though they, they represent a very small portion of the total vehicle fleet, they largely um, contribute to harmful um, emissions. Mm. And... and- this study is the first of its kind in the region to, to actually take equity into account, right? 
what did you measure exactly and how? So um, what we do, especially um, in, in, in the study, is the fact that, um, first of all, we're using a modeling study that goes down to fine scale. And what we mean by that is that we're representing these changes in air pollutants and emissions at a very small grid scale of about 1.3 kilometer. And what that allows us to do is then focus on those neighborhoods that are experiencing these changes the most. And to do that, we, we, we do these calculations at, at the census tract level and then look at the racial and ethnic composition within each census tract mm. and try and determine who is experiencing these impacts the most. And uh, you found switching heavy-duty vehicles to electric, it could save over 600 lives. Yeah, exactly. So what we did is we try and... Um, we, we looked at a scenario whereby we're electrifying 30% of heavy-duty vehicles. And what we'd like to point out is that in the study, we're assuming that all the additional electricity is going to come from the current electric grid. So we're not taking into account that for 30% um, of the heavy-duty vehicles to be electric, this would occur in conjunction with a decarbonizing grid. So our estimates are somewhat conservative in that regard. Mm. Um, and we, we do estimate that the largest health benefits are related to NO2 Reductions. Can this be scaled nationally? Um, so, of course, if, if um, heavy-duty vehicles are electrified elsewhere, then yes, we would expect to have similar impacts. What we need to take into account is a different electric, compos electric grid composition um, within our domain or within a kind of Chicago-centric domain. We're predominantly running on gas in areas that are maybe predominantly running on coal. Then we need to maybe tweak a bit the results. But still, there are nationwide studies that have shown the um, the benefits of electrifying heavy-duty vehicles. Mm. Your reaction to this, Brian? This is great information to have, and it, and it reinforces kind of what we already knew and suspected. Um, but I think the study presents a much finer, detailed view of what's going on on the ground. Um, and it's, you know, sort of, you know, the more computer power you have, the finer data you have, the, the more you're able to sort of pick out uh, impacts on specific neighborhoods and specific communities that in previous studies you might not be able to get down to that level and it might you might not see those really hyper local impacts yeah um, but you know it's um, you know people in poverty are see 35 percent more particle pollution than your average American um, and if you're non-white you're seeing 28 percent more and if you're black, you're seeing 54% more. Wow. So this just sort of reinforces uh, what what we're seeing nationally. And you know, one of the interesting things I found about the study is that they looked along um, the impacts along I-90, which goes you know all the way from O'Hare, Rockford, all the way through to Indiana. And the impacts on um, the black community were far greater in terms of the health damages that were done compared to places on the northwest side, which are a little more well-to-do, yeah. uh, a little whiter. Uh, and it shows that the communities that are already vulnerable, uh, seeing the same amount of, roughly the same amount of air pollution, see a lot more of these negative health impacts. Yeah, and, and to Sarah's point earlier, I mean, what really struck me in the research was that, you know, not all of the vehicles need to become electric in order to save lives, right? You found that just 30% uh, you know, if they make the switch, over 600 lives would be would be safe. So it's not all or nothing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Starting off small can have benefits. Yeah, and I think a large kind of main highlight that we saw in this result is related to what Brian is saying is the fact that even small reductions in our pollutants in, in these marginalized um, communities can have large and disproportionate health benefits. So that is a major kind of takeaway that we do not solely look at reducing pollutants, but also the additional health co-benefits that can result from such policies. Brian, we can't talk about the transition to electric without discussing the need to um, decarbonize the electric grid. Why is that? Remind us. Well, the paper looks at, um, you know, it, and it's very comprehensive because it says if you transition to electric trucks out there, um, great, you're going to eliminate the diesel emissions that would be harmful in those communities where the trucks are running, but you're charging trucks with electricity. And so that electricity has to come from somewhere, has to be generated. And some of it is going to come from fossil fueled power plants, which are going to put out more air pollution at the other end of the wire. Um, and the interesting thing about this study was it used um, what the power grid looked like in 2016 for the Chicago, oh. greater Chicago region. Um, and, you know, there are some negative impacts, but even with those negative impacts from generating electricity, uh, you saw a net health benefit over the entire region that they looked at. So the, mm -hmm. the health benefits from going to electric trucks uh, just way outweighs any detriment you'd see from power plant pollution. And even so, just in the immediate Chicago region, since 2016, we've had at least five coal-fired power plants retire. So they're gone. So the electricity now is even cleaner. And with the CJA legislation that passed in Illinois, we're going to get to around zero emission power, no pollution, uh, by about 2040. So it's going to get cleaner every year, and that impact from using electricity is essentially going to disappear. Mm. To that end, Sarah, I mean, we've talked about saving lives here. Are, are there other positive outcomes of this study that you want to share? Like, wh What are known as co-benefits? So the co-benefits is that because this is primarily a climate mitigation kind of policy that's put into place, the co-benefits are associated with health, which we've mentioned before, but also the fact that um, where that, that health benefit is occurring. So in these, these marginalized communities and these communities that even though we might see that they might um, experience lower reductions in, in pollutant reductions, but they see larger health benefits because their underlying susceptibility is greater. So they're more vulnerable people. So the more we can try to determine or try to reduce the air pollution in these kind of neighborhoods, then that as um, that would be largely beneficial. Another aspect is the monetary impact, right? Mm. So if we take yeah. into account the social cost of carbon, so the kind of dollar value we put on the damage every ton of carbon um, can can produce, um, can cause, then that that would cause an X amount of, of um, reductions in, in monetary um, benefits in savings. Um, but if you look at the health benefits and what that in, that means in terms of a monetized value, then that's much larger because we give a larger value for the value of statistical life, which mm -hmm. is how much we how much we give um, kind of how much we value a, a life, right? Um, so so when we're even financially, if we had to look at these decisions, we have to not only account for the climate mitigation aspect, but also the the kind of the benefits associated with other components of this whole picture. We talked about how, you know, saving lives, uh, we can do that by reducing p pollution. Brian, what, what are the climate implications of this transition to electric? The, well, the climate impl implications are we would start to tackle the number one source of carbon dioxide in, in Illinois. Um, back in, I think, 2019, 
um, traffic, transportation surpassed uh, power generation as the main cause of global warming, uh, the main source of emission of global warming emissions in Illinois. Uh, so tackling traffic, tackling vehicles, not only heavy duty, but light duty vehicles, is it has to be a priority going forward. Yeah. And we know that the governor hasn't yet adopted the clean trucks rule. Can you remind us what it would do? Sure. It's, it's actually pretty modest compared to what was put in the Northwestern study. Um, uh, but it, it, it's, a, it's a rule that says that um, manufacturers of trucks would have to start selling an increasing percentage of their vehicles mm-hmm. in Illinois as electric or zero emission vehicles, fuel cell vehicles count too. Um, and generally those targets would ramp up to about 30% by 2030 mm-hmm. and about 50% by 2035. But this is only sales of new vehicles. So it's not the same 30% that was in the study. In the study, they magically changed out 30% of the entire fleet. Oh. So, well, so, Why do you think the governor hasn't taken action yet? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, we actually build um, these medium and heavy duty electric vehicles in Illinois. Uh, there's Amazon delivery vehicles that are 100% electric that have been built in Illinois. We've built 10, over 10,000 of them in downstate normal Illinois at the Rivian factory. And there's a lot of school electric school buses coming out of the Lion Electric factory in uh, the south end of Joliet. And that's only going to grow. So we're, we're seeing the jobs. We're seeing the vehicles produced here. Um, but with us not having these rules in place, those vehicles are going to be going more to the states that do have those rules where the manufacturers do have to sell those clean vehicles. They're not going to wind up on our streets and they're not going to contribute to the health benefits that are demonstrated by the Northwestern study. So in terms of making the switch to electric, is that a a cost that individual construction uh, truck and bus fleets have to take on or are there tax breaks to help out? There's a lot of uh, movement right now. There's a lot of federal incentives that are coming to the fore. Uh, We have some local incentives too. Uh, The state has um, about $70 million for building electric vehicle charging stations. Uh, it's The State Department of Transportation is getting almost $150 million from the federal government to build fast charging stations along interstates. Um, there's going to be some money that will probably start to show up next year that mm-hmm. will help um, uh, subsidize uh, some of these larger electric vehicles. Yeah. Um, and, and there's things like federal tax credits, too. I mean, I think there's a $40,000 electric truck um, tax credit that, that companies can take advantage of. So there's a lot of different pieces out there that are kind of nudging companies along uh, and helping them take the edge off the initial upfront costs. Well, what's next for your paper and, and this study, Sarah? I, I'm wondering if you're hoping that this will help usher in the shift to electric. Yeah, well, well of course, with like any other study, right? There's a number of limitations in here. So so one of them is, for example, here we're using the, the state science kind of regulatory grade um, model, modeling framework. Um, but of course, within it, there are some limitations and specifically to represent um, idling emissions, which are which are very important, specifically like idling at warehouses. Yeah, exactly. Um, which are which predominantly occur again in marginalized communities. So we're trying to tweak kind of our modeling framework to represent as best we can the actual emissions that people are exposed to. So that is kind of in the pipeline of something that that we're working on. Um, We also have something coming up um, very soon on looking at both light duty vehicle impacts and heavy duty vehicle 
ecological impacts. So we're continuously trying to give a bit more more, yeah. more value out there and more and more kind of information about the impacts in general of electrifying these heavy duty vehicles. We'll have and to have others. you back then. Yeah. That's Sarah Camilleri. She's a postdoctoral scholar in Northwestern's Earth and Planetary Sciences Department. And Brian Urbaszewski, Director of the Respiratory Lung Association. Thank you both. Thank you so much. Thank you.